All right, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all today. If you take your Bibles and open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, that's where we'll be studying from this morning as we open up God's Word together as a church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's good to see everybody here today. If you're visiting with us, we welcome you, and it's our hope that you will be feel welcomed here and that you will be edified during our time of worship together through uh, praying, singing, and through the opening up of the Bible and studying it together. First Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, the reason we're here this morning is because we're working our way through First and Second uh, Thessalonians, uh, hopefully through the end of the year, but I'm, I think I'm about to have to take my plan to do that and chunk it in the trash because we're already behind schedule on, on it. But uh, we'll see how it goes. We're actually going to be in First Thessalonians again tonight as well. So I um, hope you'll be back for that. First Thessalonians chapter 2, and I'll read verses uh, 1 through 12. And you may say, well, I thought we covered that last week. Well, we didn't really. I had to breeze through a good portion of this. So that's where we're going to be this morning. I'll read it for us again if you'd follow along in your copy of God's Word. The Word of the Lord reads like this, beginning at chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Verse 8, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. May God bless the reading of his word to our hearts. Let us go to him in prayer. Our
Our Father, you are the author of these words that we read. Your Spirit has inspired holy men of God to write. And Lord, I thank you today for the written word. That through this word, Lord, we may be built up. I pray that you will use this word, Lord, today to build us up. As I think about the many different situations and life, life stages here in this congregation, Lord, there are those with hurts and discouragements. There are those with great joys of anticipation with the birth of babies. Lord, there's loss that has been experienced. Father, there's just struggles with figuring out life and knowing what to do and how to do it and who we are in as Christians in this world and how we're to behave. So, Lord, there's just so much for all of us. And, Father, on behalf of this congregation today, I would ask you, Lord, to please use your word among us that, that we all, Lord, might receive a blessing from being in your word today, from hearing it proclaimed. And perhaps, Lord, even there is some here who today would be saved, for today would be the day of salvation because today they hear the gospel and clarity and understand that Jesus Christ is the one who is able to save sinners and that they today will receive him as their savior, receive the word of the gospel. So, Lord, I commit all of this to you, lay it all out before you and pray that you would use this time for our good, Lord, that you'd be glorified through us in Jesus name. I pray. Amen. I want to share with you a message entitled today, Gospel Ministry, here from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. As we kind of work our way back through this, there's just so much here that we need to make sure that we grasp and learn, even though we're not going to get everything in one study through any passage of Scripture because the Word of God is a uh, it is living and it is powerful. It is a, uh, a book that is not dead, it is not stagnant, but it is living. And as we continue to study it and grow in our understanding of the Bible, then uh, we'll, we'll grow more and more in the impact of these verses and passages in our lives. But as we look here at 1 Thessalonians 2 and kind of work through this, I've got four points that I'm going to share with you this morning from this passage. If you have a handout, you can follow along with that. But we're talking about gospel ministry. And really, ministry requires, and you'll see that I have that uh, there, ministry requires, and I'm going to give you four things. The first thing that is this, that we see in this passage of Scripture that ministry requires. And again, we see this in the life of the Apostle Paul. We see this in his companions and brothers and sisters. Let this be a lesson for us that these things are applicable to us. This is what gospel ministry means. Not for just this man standing in the pulpit, but for every one of us who are ministering in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For every one of us who are laying our hand, who have laid our hand to the plow and have began to uh, serve the Lord Jesus Christ. This is applicable for every one of us. I hope that it's applicable to you because you're serving in the church. 
that you're ministering in the church. So let us learn. The first thing perhaps is this, that ministry, gospel ministry continues, must continue amid conflict. And the first thing that we see in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul lays it out for us. He says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. In other words, he's saying it wasn't empty. It wasn't for no purpose. And then he goes on in verse 2. He says, But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Hence, we have this point continuing in or amid conflict. Gospel ministry must continue. Now, you see that the apostle here points out the city of Philippi so that we will maybe have a little bit more of an understanding on this. I do want to ask you to turn back to Acts chapter 16. And we'll see just briefly what he endured there and then what happened next as he went to Thessalonica. Acts chapter 16. Now, if, if, you're, if you're not real familiar with the Bible, you may not know what this chapter is about. But a lot of us who have grown up in church, you know, we can mention the city of Philippi and say somebody like the Philippian jailer. And everybody here knows knows if you've grown up in church and been in some small group classes or Sunday school classes, you, you know kind of what that's about. Well, that happened right here in Acts chapter 16. Paul had gone there to this city of Philippi. A lady named Lydia was saved there. Uh, the Lord opened her heart so that she could receive the things that were preached. And then Paul and um, Silas went about preaching the gospel. There was some problems. They ended up getting thrown into prison. They were beaten and thrown into prison and before preaching the gospel, really. But they also had cast out a spirit of divination from a young lady and her owners didn't like that, so that's where all the ruckus came from. But you look at verse 35 in Acts 16. Um, the Philippian jailer had already, along with his household, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and been baptized. Verse 35, it says, And when it was a day, the magistrates sent the officers saying, Let those men go. All right, that's Paul and Silas in prison. The earthquake had happened. The household had been baptized already. And then when it was day, it says, verse 36. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. Verse 37. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly. Uncondemned Romans and have thrown us into prison. And now, do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. Verse 38. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Okay, so do you see how they were spitefully treated? That's the word that Paul uses there in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 2. Being spitefully treated in Philippi. 
All right. So they were spitefully treated because even though they were Roman citizens, they were beaten as though they were not Roman citizens and they were beaten for no reason whatsoever and then thrown into prison. If you'll turn over to Acts chapter 22 in Acts 22, we learn just a little bit more about Paul's Roman citizenship. And I think we can pick up here at verse 25, Acts 22, verse 25. Again, Paul brings up his Roman citizenship when he is under arrest. He, he appeals to that. In verse 35, I mean 25 of chapter 22, it says, And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and, and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he sent he sent, he went and told the commander saying, take care what you do for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman? He said, yes. The commander, commander answered with a large sum. I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, but I was born a citizen. Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had been bound or because he had bound him. All right, you see this Roman citizenship that Paul um, had because he was born a Roman is uh, to be brought into play there. Now, let's go back to First Thessalonians chapter two, and it helps us to understand why he was spitefully treated in Philippi. And then right after that, he would go to Thessalonica. When he was there, we've read previously already in Acts chapter 17, that when Paul was there, he again faced persecution. He again faced suffering. But the point that he is making here that this gospel, the gospel ministry continued even though it was faced with opposition. Brothers and sisters, I will remind you this morning that as we continue to labor in the gospel, that there will be suffering, there will be persecution, there will be conflict, but for each one of us, we must continue faithfully in that ministry to which the Lord has called us. Do you remember Acts 14, 22? It says that we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. That's part of being Christian and that's part of being the church. I like what Stephen Lawson uh, said. I saw this uh, quote, but he said, trials are God's unannounced exams to see how we're doing in the school of faith. I thought that was real good. Um especially since we like to give those pop quizzy poos around here every once in a while. I guess God has those as well for us. But with the Apostle Paul, it was quite consistent in his ministry. We'll see next in verses 3 through 6 that gospel ministry requires seeking approval from God. Gospel ministry requires seeking approval from God. We'll pick up there at verse 3. And he speaks about his their exhortation, that word that they are bringing to the Thessalonians or to others that they would come into contact with, where they are preaching the gospel to them, the message of salvation that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, 
died for the for our sins and that he was buried and that he rose again from the dead on the third day and that he was seen alive from the dead that Jesus Christ the son of God was raised from the dead according to our gospel and that that changes everything in human history it changes our responsibility as individuals as people before God to know his son Jesus Christ and so it's a seeking of approval from God in verse 3 for our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness nor was it in deceit now you might we might go ahead and couple with that verse 5 if you'll drop down and look at this he says for neither at any time did we use flattering words as you know for a cloak for covetousness god is witness so no flattering uh, words no um no um, speaking in such a way as to build people up when in actually it's not true or you do not actually believe that about them. And he uses there in the in the New King James the phrase cloak for covetousness. I think some other texts may say a pretext for greed. You might have that in your Bible, pretext for greed. The idea there is, and I like personally the New King James, the cloak for covetousness, because the idea here is is that they put on a cloak over themselves to make them appear to be one type of person, when as a matter of fact, if the cloak were removed, it shows that they were altogether up to something else. So they were putting this cloak on, and Paul saying here that we did not come putting on the cloak of the gospel in order to gain your money or, or in order to gain control over you. But we came as those who not only had the cloak of the gospel on, but it was actually our heart's desire that the gospel would go to you and that you would believe it. It was genuine. They were genuine through and through. And he points out there, God is witness. At the end of verse 4, he says, but God who tests our hearts. Now, let's take a moment and look at this together. In verse 4, there are some things we can see. Uh, he says, but as we, as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. I'd like to ask you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 16 17. 1 Corinthians 9, 16 and 17. So, Paul writes here, he wrote this to the Corinthians, and, and I'll remind you, he was likely in Corinth when he wrote to the Thessalonians. But in verse 16, he says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. 
But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. Do you see that last part? But, but I have, but if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. So Paul lays out in this passage the importance of the gospel and the responsibility that he has laid upon him as someone who has been approved by God and someone who has been entrusted with the gospel. He says, woe is me. I'll tell you, folks, you may wonder sometimes, why does Pastor Eric quote 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5 so much? And it's because of this verse. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. And there is never a time in our past or in our future as a church, that we do not need to be reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because everything that we are and everything that we will be is to be attributed to Him and to His goodness and to His sacrifice on our behalf. Without Christ, we are nothing. And without the hope of the gospel, we have no hope. So we must preach that gospel And Paul realized that. And he did faithfully, even amid the many trials and the sufferings that he faced. So he was entrusted with the gospel. He's like a steward who had to take care of it. He goes there in verse 4 and he says, even so we speak. How? How must a steward speak? He must speak as one who's not pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Will you look at a couple of other passages with me? In Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Now I'm telling you, these passages will help you keep your head screwed on straight. So I want to point them out to you because we all need that. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, actually. I had verse 6 written down in my notes, but but it's actually verse 10. He's here talking all about the gospel. If you're familiar with Galatians 1 and not preaching any other gospel, if anybody preaches any other gospel other than that which had been proclaimed to them, let them be what? Does anybody know? A curse. The gospel and the the gospel as the scripture lays it out is important. But look at verse 10. Paul says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. All right, real important. 
Because it's very easy for us to fall over into the category of pleasing men without even really realizing that we are doing it. And before, that's all that we're doing is trying to please men. But if we can keep our focus on the Lord and what does the Lord want me to do, what is the Lord's will for my life in this situation according to His Word, then it can clear things up for you real quickly. Another passage similar to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 23. Again, I'd love for you to see this. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 23. It's real simple. It's a short verse. So short, you may wonder why I had you take the time to turn there. But in verse seven, chapter 7, verse 23, Paul says, You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Do not become slaves of men. Why should we not become slaves of men? It's because Christ has purchased us with His own blood and we belong to Him. And because we are bondservants of Christ, We do not live our lives to please men, but God. Now, because we please God and strive to do that, that might mean we are pleasing men in various ways. Husbands, you've got to take care of your wives. You have that responsibility to the Lord. Wives, you've got to uh, perform your uh, duties to your for your husband as a wife, uh, husband to the to the wife. You have to care about the things of the, the world. The Bible says in this very same chapter. But yet, we do that all remembering that we have been bought by Christ and we are not slaves of men. So this is important for us. And Paul realized this as he was ministering the gospel, even in difficult situations, that he did not do that to please men, but God, because it is God who tests the hearts. Let's take just a moment real quick and try to get some application out of this. When we think about the first point about continuing amid conflict, I hope that we would walk away from seeing that in this passage and hearing these truths from God's Word so that when that day comes where we are faced with difficulty, even right here, In this local church, it could be things, you know, that are happening in life. I'm not saying it's persecution. I'm not even saying it's suffering for the gospel. What I'm saying is it might just be demands on life where you're saying, I'm going to pull back and I'm going to stop because the things that are going on in life are just too much. And I hope that when we hear passages like this, that we'll remember Paul kept going. Even amid suffering, even amid conflict, and he kept preaching the gospel and he kept seeking to fulfill the ministry which was given to him in the Lord. Maybe I ought to hang in there a little bit longer. Maybe I ought to strive to be faithful even though it's hard and even though I don't feel like it, I'm going to keep going because I want to be a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. So perhaps we will learn from that. 
perhaps we will grow and be stronger from that. Someone has said, it was a professor at Wheaton University, I read from somebody, but he used to say to this to his students, he would say it's always too soon to quit. And there's probably a lot to that. But also, the next point, seeking approval from God. Listen, folks, we need to walk away from this this passage of Scripture. I hope today that we all walk away from this and say, hey, who am I seeking to, to be approved by? Who am I seeking glory from? Am I seeking glory from men? Am I seeking glory from my peers? Or am I seeking glory from God? And I'll talk to our young people very quickly. Because many of you, and y'all, y'all, it's, it's hard being a, it's hard being a teenager. Do I hear any amens from the adults on that? It's, it's tough. Figuring out life, figuring out who you are, figuring out who you need to be around other people, where you fit in and, in church and in your home and in society and school. It is really, really hard figuring all that out. But I will tell you this. If you can somehow strive to the very best of your ability by God's grace to say, Lord, who do you want me to be? Lord, what do you want me to do? And seek Him. And I'm telling you, it just might clear some things up for you. Seek the Lord and seek His approval, whatever men may say or think about you. That's ultimately what matters. And you know why that matters? It's because He's the one that we're going to stand before in judgment one day. No human being save our Lord Jesus Christ who was a human being. No human being is going to stand there and judge you on that great day, but it will be the God-man Jesus Christ and He will judge us in righteousness. We will give an account to Him in righteousness. He is the final authority. And it is for Him that we can and that we should live for now. Y'all agree with that? When I say judgment, I don't mean a judgment of salvation or condemnation, but it's a judgment according to the deeds that we've done in our life. So live for Jesus. You can do that. Hey, you've only got one life to live. You better live it for Jesus. Our life is like a vapor on the earth. It's like a shadow. It's here and then it's gone in in respect to all of eternity. So young people, old people, middle-aged people, Live for Jesus. Seek Him. Let's see. Maybe I'm done with that point. You see there in the verse 4, what does it say? Who tests our hearts? Who tests our hearts? God. Look at, look at the end of verse 5. Who's the witness? God is witness. God knows your heart. God sees you. Let's see here. Verse 6, Nor do we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. Point number three, giving of life. Giving of life. Point number three. Uh, Verses 7 through 9, here we see him bring up, or use the illustration of a a mother uh, for her children. And it's quite clear, 
uh, on this really. Certainly, uh, moms here probably can understand this much more than us guys can, but uh, it's a beautiful illustration of gospel ministry in one aspect of it. So, ministry requires giving of life. Verse 7, it says, But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. You can think about that mother taking the baby into her bosom and feeding that baby and caring for that baby and in a sense giving life to that child and sustaining the life of that child. And then in verse 8, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Because you had become dear to us. So like a mother with the child, and I just think about a mother hearing her baby cry and just, give, give me that baby. Let me have that baby. Give me my baby. And taking that baby in and caring for that baby and longing for that child. Here, Paul speaks of his affectionately longing for the Thessalonians and how he was pleased not only to be one who preached the gospel to them, but to be one who actually, you know, it's a phrase, doing life together. They did life together because they were willing to give their very lives for the sake of the Thessalonians. Through their suffering and through their trials, through their sacrifice for the gospel to go out, they were willing to do that. In verse 9, it says, For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preached to you the gospel of God. That labor. You know, we don't know what Paul did. As a matter of fact, we only really know of him for sure being there for three weeks. That's all that we have in Acts chapter 17. It, it might have been longer than that, but it records three Sabbaths that they had went there and uh, preached and, and taught. Now, uh, the ministry took place beyond the Sabbaths, but the Apostle Paul likely, if we look at this passage, worked in order to provide for himself but we also learn from the book of Philippians that the church in Philippi that he had just come from sent aid to them once and again. So they sent to help Paul so that he could focus on the gospel ministry. But here he's pointing out that the, the labor and the toil, it was like a, a labor of love. You guys ever heard that before? Where was that found? Yeah, First Thessalonians. Chapter two, chapter one, verse three, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love and patience of hope. What an example they had set before them. And the Apostle Paul, like a mother longing for and laboring for her children. So was he. Our last point is this remembering the calling. 
remembering the calling. And I'll, I'll, I'll summarize this and then we'll pick back up here tonight. Remembering the calling. Now, as we look at verse 10, Paul transitions here from talking about being like a mother to being like a father. Um, and he goes in verse 10, he says, you are witnesses. So now he brings them into it and saying, not just God, but you guys saw this yourselves. You saw it with your own two eyes. How devoutly, and devoutly means holy, and justly, justly means righteously, and blamelessly. So in other words, they lived as holy men of God before them. They did the right things toward them because of that. And then they lived blamelessly in such a way that there was nothing that would stick to their lives if it were thrown at them an accusation. And he says, and blamelessly, we behaved ourselves among you who believe. And then in verse 11, he says, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his children. So uh, exhort means to um, encourage. It means to um, invite, call together. The word comfort means to console or to encourage. And then the word charge means to insist on or urge. Now, I tried to think, and I'm again wrapping up, but I tried to think of how can I explain this from a father's point of view? I thought that's pretty easy. It's trying to teach a child how to ride a bicycle. Now, if you've ever done that as a parent, you know that that's one of the most miserable things as a parent to have to do. Teach a child how to ride a bicycle. I remember trying to teach Abigail how to ride a bicycle early on. And I felt like a complete buffoon out there in the front yard trying to get her to ride that bicycle. And I thought, well, the boys would pick it up. It'll be a whole lot easier for them. And then Grant comes along and same thing. I felt like a buffoon again out there trying to get this child how to ride, teach them how to ride a bicycle. So from that point on, I really chilled out about the whole bicycle thing. They'll get it when they get it. All right. So I'll give them a few pushes and I'll run along just a little bit. But hey, you're on your own after a little while. But I think about that charging that child or exhorting them. First of all, you teach them how to do it. All right, you got to pedal, keep your hands on the steering wheel, trying to keep yourself balanced. All right, here we go, here we go. Come on, you can do it. Uh, So you taught them how to do it. You exhorted them. Then they go out and they crash. And you run out there and you say, you okay? Come on, come on, you can get back up. You okay? You sure okay? Nothing's broke, all this stuff. And then they get up and you say, all right, come on, let's do this. You can do this. Get back on the bike. I don't want to, Daddy. I just got to. Come on. You can do it. You got to learn how. And you, you charge them. Come on. You can do it. So you, you exhorted, you comforted, and you charged. And Paul and the companions that were with him as they were preaching the gospel to these Thessalonians in a pagan culture that worshipped all sorts of idols, they, they exhorted them. They comforted them and they charged them. But what did they charge them to do? You see it in verse 12. That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. So, we'll pick up there tonight. As we think about giving our lives 
Are you here to have others give their life for you only? Or are you here to give your life for the brothers and sisters in Christ here at New Life Baptist Church? And are you this morning able to remember ultimately our calling? That it is not a calling to walk worthy of a kingdom of this world, but it is a calling to walk worthy of a kingdom that is of another world. A kingdom that is eternal and that will not end. With that, we will regain our conversation tonight and continue. Let us pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. And I pray, dear God, that it will be used in us. Please let the seed of Your Word now that we have gone over and perhaps perhaps in too much detail, but perhaps not enough. But Lord, I pray that Your Word would not return void. Let it accomplish all that it should today in us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.